structures are not serving us well. We need to creatively destroy the ships that brought us here and move into the land of the future with better tools. Tools that keep us safer and healthier, that create more wealth for more people, that foster more intimate and rewarding relationships. We need to leave behind what is not working. We need a modern revolution. We invite here, they are thinking differently, and we'll tell you where you can learn all about them later, after you have listened to them closely. For now, we don't want to impress you with what they have done, we want to impress you with what they have to say. The Modern Revolution will be podcasted. Okay, well, welcome to the Modern Revolution. Here we talk with guests who are multifaceted and they're affecting the world in many positive ways, not just for themselves, but for everybody around them. And our podcast isn't about continuing to talk about all the guests' accomplishments and why you should listen to them, because by that we would be implying that you should believe what they say. And instead, we're asking you to listen to them and see how it resonates with you. And if they resonate with you and you want to learn more about them, we'll obviously direct you to places that you can um, find them. Uh, but, you know, we feel like today's guest is a modern revolutionary and deserves your attention. So uh, welcome, Lisa Kilgore. We're very grateful you took time with us. Thanks so much for having me, Peter. Of course. And we know that you're a multi-dimensional person um, and that, you know, you do a lot of things in the world and in your work. So it's not just one thing, but if you could distill it to a phrase or, you know, it's a haiku of sorts, like something really short, tell me what, what are you doing in the world? Like, how would you describe it in a phrase? I help people reconnect with their own body and their own inner wisdom. And the path that I use is through food. Okay. So I, I use what, what, they're, what they eat and how it feels and how, what body symptoms you feel as a guide to um, reconnecting. So uh, you're finding in the world people are disconnected from their true selves, I suppose, and you're looking for a vehicle to return them to yeah. uh, that integration. Is that, is that fair? Absolutely, uh, because the outs like the media tells us, and many health experts tell us to listen to me. I will tell you what to do, and what I've seen in my work, um, thirteen years in, is that our bodies already know. Our bodies know exactly how they want to be fed. They know exactly what they need, and we just need to open up and understand. And, and if we're always taking someone else's opinion about our body, then we're 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 losing out on a set of wisdom that is there for our taking. So that really um, leads us to the, uh, you know, the primary setup question, which is, you know, you talk about the media in that and you, and you talk about maybe a not understanding of like people's own relationship to their experience. For example, what does their food really move their body in which direction? So if we were gonna talk about what problem you're trying to solve in the world, um, tell me about what problem in the world you're looking to solve. I'm looking to solve the, the amount of headspace that dieting and, and food 
questions and, and food insecurity, like the, just the insecurity of knowing what you need takes up in our brain. Um, I'm a woman who has lived my entire life inside the dieting culture and it takes up so much mental space. If I gain five pounds, it takes up so much mental space. And that if we can free that up, we can put it to something so much more useful because that space isn't isn't useful. Dieting culture isn't making us healthier. We can see that in the research. We can see that in how healthy we are today versus where we were a hundred years ago before it was so prevalent. And so by reconnecting ourselves to our body, we free up space to do more good stuff in the world. When we take yeah. care of ourselves, we can take care of each other better. So, I mean, that's an interesting point of view when it comes to uh, headspace, right? And so when I hear you say that, um, you know, and, uh, so I'm curious if I was to paraphrase it back for you. I mean, it feels like you're saying to people, you're, you're spending a lot of energy counterproductive to your own interest. Like you're wasting uh, all of this concern and anxiety about things that um, you should be focused on elsewhere. I mean, how does that, is that an accurate understanding? I mean, how yeah, yes, that? it's okay. absolutely accurate. I also want to bring in some kindness to it because it's not yeah. our, I don't believe it's our own fault that we're doing this, that this sure. is how we've been trained for a long time, that our, our parents were trained this way and our grandparents were trained this way. And so to look outside for food advice, instead of looking at your family and yourself, that that is a shift that makes a lot of money for food manufacturers right. and yes. makes a lot of money for a lot of health experts. And it is counterproductive. And we can see that in both our, our health and wellness right now, our mental health as our levels of anxiety, but also our physical health, the levels of chronic illness that are happening right now is showing right. what we eat, what we've been told to eat isn't working. Yeah, I mean that. Um, I have a, a, you know, I have a relationship to the idea in the athletic community, and I feel like um, there's, you know, if it comes in a bag, a box, or a can, you have to pause and you know evaluate what you're being sold. And the, um, the athletic community is a lot of, you know, it's like. Uh, the apothecaries of old, you know, take this powder and take this, you know, whatever. And, and I'm not anti-technology. I'm not anti, like you can do things better than not. But um, when I go around the farmer's market and I can recognize the food as food, you know, I like Michael's Pollan's definition of real food. Like if your great, great grandmother would recognize it as food, eat it. And if you don't, if she wouldn't, is probably something to at least be suspicious of. Um, so, I mean, I think even in the communities that are super healthy in there, I spent a lot of time in the CrossFit community, you know, even the communities that are doing lots and lots of things right, that element of like, well, you really would be better if you took this powder, this, you know, this thing. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of people would feel like uh, that's an extreme position, but healthy food that's produced properly, I think is, um, is something that we don't always realize is, first of all, it's often, you know, less expensive than the powders and all the rest of it. 
And I think it, it does what we need it to do. So, I mean, this is a big problem you're looking to tackle, right? I mean, you're, these are the forces of media. These are the forces of our social, um, the, the water we swim in. I mean, and so uh, I admire you for wanting to tackle something so ambitious. Uh, I respect that. Did you always know you wanted to do this? Did it happen? Did you come to want to tackle this because of a moment? Um, or was it just a series of increments? Like you just moved you closer to saying, this is why I want to do this. If if 13 year old me was here or even 20 year old me was here, they would laugh really hard at the idea that I'm a holistic nutritionist. Like that, like that kind of, I never expected my life to go the way it, it is. Uh, when I was, my undergrad's performance music. And when I was in school for music, it was a, a very competitive classical program. Um, mm -hmm. I was really unwell. I had nerve damage down both my arms, tendonitis in both my thumbs. I had uncontrolled asthma that wasn't life-threatening, but was affecting me in every single day. And I was a flute player. If you need, as a flute player, I need my arms, my thumbs, my, my lungs. Everything, everything you needed was hurting. Everything Not I right. needed. And so I went from a specialist to specialist and had this amazing GP who always humored me, but the specialists were, kept saying, you're fine. There's nothing wrong with you. I'm like, there's something wrong with me. Right. I was so foggy. I'd forget what day of the week it was, where I was going. And, and it wasn't until later that I learned that it was all my diet's fault. Um, I ate all sugar all the time. I had, sure. my diet was entirely processed and nobody asked me that. Yeah. <laughs> and so when I left school, I got a job working in the health and wellness industry. And it was through um, that first job that I started feeding myself differently, that I tried some whole food, a whole food supplement that, my, that nourished my body in a way that my brain turned back on. Right. And I learned also that I really like talking to people and helping people and listening to what their story is. And so I slowly I went back to school for nutrition, became a holistic nutritionist about 13 years ago. And, but then it was through my practice of working with people right. that I saw, like, I, I've always been fairly anti-diet. I grew up in a house of dieting. I, I thought this was just normal for, for women and humans. And, but I watched, I had person after person come to me that were chronic dieters and I saw how it wasn't working. And over the, over the course of the last 13 years, this process of undieting mm -hmm. created itself. And uh, without even me realizing that's what it was, it was yeah. this re like, our, I saw how many people can figure out exactly what they want to eat simply by listening to their cravings and their body symptoms and that there's no one way for everybody. So that diet that CrossFitters love, it does work for certain people, but it really doesn't for others. Right. And it's the people it works for, they talk about that, that talk about it all the time. Sure. And every single diet has a group of people that this is exactly how their body wants to be fed. Sure. And then a whole bunch of people who struggle on it. And it's the people who struggle on it that feel like they are the failures. Right. There's, they're not. That was it was set up to fail. <laughs> the yeah, whole thing. Right, right. yeah, yeah. Their body is their body is their very best friend, and it always wins. Right. And when you try to force your body into something, it, it will then fail. And I watched client after client feel so guilty feel like such failures because they aren't weren't able to keep this up and they were asking my support to help them follow this way and I was like well maybe that's not your way maybe your body needs starch because that's just right. out of style yeah. right now like maybe sure. your body needs a whole different way of being fed and yeah. and 
when you feed your body that way, it's easy and you're not on anything. So you can't fall off it. You just get to understand and know there's freedom in this. And it's why I want to tackle this big topic because I see the benefit every day. Yeah. I mean, you've had, um, you have the wisdom of, uh, experience. I mean, you had a journey that started in one place and you felt a certain way and then you received an education that, you know, really was about, um, allowing yourself to learn from yourself in an odd turn of teaching, right? Like you're, you were your own teacher. You just had to learn to listen. Um, and out of that is a, a power because you're not representing something that you haven't experienced. And the fact that it was a bio-individual experience and is unique to you found your own thing. Because we certainly see um, macronutrients come into like their time, right? Like we had the carbohydrate time where like you needed to, we had to load, this is carbo loading. This is, you want to have a lot of energy, be whatever. And then don't stay away from fat. And now fat is properly returned to its, you know, rightful place as something that is useful, but, and carbs are now a suspect. And, um, you know, I'm of the mind that we, the nature didn't produce the macronutrients for you to pick and choose. It's like, you have to have some is my own particular opinion. So there's the messages coming at us from the health industry itself. Do this, don't do that. And they change their mind all the time. Then there's the media saying it should result in this. Uh, it should be a world of Instagram ads or uh, abs and you know no body fat or whatever. So you have like this media component. Um, what are the strongest forces in our society that are supporting this status quo of listening externally to what you should be doing versus developing an internal understanding? Like what are those? What are the most powerful forces in that dynamic? I, I think that every health expert, they are they, they are giving advice because they want to be of service. And, and even if I disagree entirely with the advice that they're giving, I firmly believe that every health expert is in it because they love it. Yeah, yeah. What is happening on the outside? And I'm a big fan of Michael Pollan too. And so Michael Pollan te- teaches us about the, the pressure of lobbyists, the pressure of the my, almighty dollar. And when we, when we actually look into where does this health advice come from, it comes from um, big food, big pharma, um, uh, big agriculture, they are pressuring the government to change how they speak about things. Um, it, it was, it was the beef lobby who, who said, no, you can't say eat less beef. You need to do it in a different way. And so they shifted it to eat foods with less saturated fat. Well, yeah. what's the saturated fat <laughs> oh, you need, you need an expert to tell you what's, what has saturated fat in it. And you need right. a box that has a label to teach you this. And so the, due to this pressure from the, the big food, we then get this advice that we need to turn to health experts to understand. And food experts love the nutrition fashion, where, as you said very well, that carbs were in style for 20 years now, uh, protein's in style right now, and fat at least, carbs are out of style. And we're 20 years into this now. We're in the midst of there's going to be another shift. And when there's another shift, we're seeing that happen. Fat is becoming more and more prominent. Protein will have to get kicked to the curb because that's what happens. And carbs, people are going to realize, oh, I needed to eat carbs. And honestly, then the way that my body likes is finally going to be in style, which is lots of fatty starch is what my body loves. (laughs) 
but that's just the, that, that will just be the next fashion. Right. And food manufacturers love this. Um, our bodies don't. And uh, the foods that don't get advertised, which are all of those whole foods, they get lost in this mire of, well, isn't, isn't that too high carb for me? Or doesn't that all turn into glucose? And we have, we, we're, we've been taught this understanding of food that's missing a lot of parts Mm -hmm. that you honestly don't even need to know any of it. Like I, I love nutrition information. And the more I learn, the more I realize I don't need any of this. Yeah. That if I eat whole foods and I, and I watch what my body likes, I can just go with that. Sure. And um, the more we learn, the more it kind of gets in our way sometimes because it, this is all, this is it, the philosophy is inside of nutritionism, which is the talking about single parts like carbs, fats, and protein, saturated fat, vitamin C, things you sure. can't see. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so to come back to your question, I think what drives this is money and profit. And that many of us are living inside that questionable advice, even unintentionally. Yeah. And so that because it's filtered through this group of people that are here to be of service, it sounds right. And that what's, that's what makes it even harder. Yeah, I mean, I, that's, and I, that tension between, you know, those people who are paying attention to the health gurus is one thing. And then I think there's the folks who aren't really, in their mind, they're like, I, I don't need to worry about health food. I just gotta, you know, eat generally right. So when I eat, uh, if I eat a hamburger, I guess meat in a, in a bun, but a hamburger coming from McDonald's is not the same hamburger than you're uh, preparing at the house. And th they're not an apple to an apple, but I think, you know, there's, um, when we talk about business, I mean, you're kinder than I generally am to that because I, I, re I respect, the fact that if you can turn five cents of corn into a dollar profit, then as a business person, you, I understand why you would pursue that. Like that makes sense to me as a business proposition, you know, but that we are spending $388 billion a year in this country on diabetes. And, you know, we, I think it's really fair to say we can cure diabetes with vegetables, you know, like you change you to eating, whole foods and it's amazing how quickly diabetes goes away when we're talking about type 2 adult onset diabetes um so i mean uh <laughs> it's easy to sell something when you can make it simple right and so uh the, it's rational from a per calorie um cost you know fast food you know and you know your children will eat it or you're you know it's tasty and i feel like that business force uh, creates a pretty powerful incentive to just can, to do that, you know, whole foods do require more thinking. So, um, you know, when those powerful forces got to line up with certain assumptions. And so like, what assumptions are you challenging in people? You know, when they come to you, they think the world is one way and their relationship to it is one way and you're moving them in a different direction. So what assumptions are you challenging? I'm challenging this idea that you can that you have to force your body into something. Um, usually right. when somebody comes to see me, they have this interest in undieting and I, I really like I attach to it. I really roll with it. Okay. But then we spend a lot of time working through this rational mind who keeps saying, but if I want to lose weight, I need to follow a diet, feel deprived and be unhappy. <laughs> that the fact I like the fact that I like what I'm eating is 
it can't possibly be okay. Yeah, right. And like, I honestly have this conversation many times a week with people where we just simply say like, being satisfied after a meal and like I, I, I watch them talk about their favorite foods and their eyes light up and then out comes this conversation of, but could this actually work? Right. Like, yeah, because you don't you you just said that in the last month you haven't craved any any sugar and yeah. you feel really full and satisfied and that you don't go to bed hungry and you don't wake up hungry and you haven't gained any weight while eating enormous amount of food. Yeah. And and. So it's really having this conversation with this voice that the dieting culture has put into our head of this couldn't, if I'm happy, this couldn't possibly work because every other time I've lost weight, never kept it off or uh, followed a a diet plan that I felt good on, but couldn't ever keep up. I had to do, I had to say no to all my favorite things. I couldn't have that chocolate cake. So it can't be okay that I could have chocolate cake. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And so a lot of like, uh, I I spend a lot of time challenging their own assumptions that have been wired into them. And, um, and, and, it, it can be challenging to be totally honest uh, because it's so ingrained and so deep and usually multi-generational at this point. Right. Well, that's interesting. I, I hadn't thought about like that. We're, we're several generations into these, um, these patterns and I'm, I'm 50. And um, so the sixties would have been before my, childhood but that you know the amount of time spent in the kitchen every day versus today from a cooking perspective we're like 25 percent of the time that was spent typically in the kitchen in the 60s and so um these yeah it's interesting to me so i mean we're at least two because i don't know if we go back before you know in the 40s and the 50s i mean there was just less available processed food than it is you know, there is now. Um, but that that assumption that like the way to happiness has to be through suffering is kind of right. I mean, that's a cultural whatever, right? That you can't you can't joyfully move from one thing to the thing you want to be, right? You have to you have to suffer. Yeah. Uh, that's an interesting thing. Um, so I mean people have their assumptions, you're challenging those assumptions. And when someone sees a problem that's hyper serious, someone tells you, you have cancer, you're willing to do whatever you have to do to, you know, protect yourself from cancer because the threat is so extreme. In this problem, these problems that you're going after, what makes people see them as less serious as they, than they are? You know, I mean, if, if, if a problem seriousness is somehow have a relationship with the amount of energy that they're willing to put into the problem, what are what's keeping people from energetically moving in the direction that you want them to move on their own? And it's a really good question. Um, and I'm noticing right now people are feeling desperate, even when they don't have a major health issue that they're dealing with. Right. Um, but what makes me desperate to to share this message to say there's another way is when I remember the 70s and 80 something people who come to me saying, but if I only lost a couple more pounds, I know I'd be happier. Sure. And if we can't drop it in our 70s and 80s, 
we have like if if it's just going to keep going like like I if 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 it was only I'm in my early mid 40s if if only there's this moment where I would stop caring about this then it wouldn't be such a big deal but it never leaves us we can be I don't want to be 95 and still be worried about my weight right right or worried about that I'm not healthy enough that I need to change something and but, and I'm seeing this in a lot of women, usually in their forties and fifties now that are just like, I'm sick of this. I'm, I, I, no diet has ever worked. Um, what do I do? But because it doesn't have this health issue attached to it, it makes it sometimes harder because yeah, the yeah, brain can yeah. take over and just say, oh, this, this can't possibly work. Why don't right. you just kind of go back to your old life and, and we'll go back to the deprivation binge thing. You know, you know that yeah, one really yeah, well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And that's, but I think that, that by putting the effort in and doing that rewiring, you get food freedom. Like I don't think about, I don't think about food all that much, to be honest, even though my life is a nutritionist, I don't care that much about food. I'm not a foodie, but I fuel my body in a way that I know feels good. And I like what I eat. Right. And, yeah. and so I know what, I know the power of this because I live it. Sure. Uh, but yeah, it is like there is, that's the struggle because if somebody comes to me with big digestive issues or really right. low energy, they're much more focused on, I will do whatever it takes. But when they come yes, to me yes, yes. dieting, it's like, we, there, there's, there's this other pushback from their rational brain that we have to work with. with. Right. Yeah. I mean, okay. So, I mean, the, um, the people who come to you and, they see it as serious, have an immediate threat. The, the, the issues have manifested themselves in something that is either potentially life-threatening or debilitating in some way, shape, or form. And then there's another group of people who are just psychologically fatigued and they're coming to you because they just don't, they want to think differently and they're tired of, you know, the, the treadmill of, of what they've, um, they've been on. And then, I mean, when you think about the people who aren't finding you, who should find you, um, like why are they not, uh, why aren't they coming to you? Like what is it about their perception of how they feel? The people who should be with you who aren't, right? So they may not feel very good and they don't know why Mm -hmm. um, and they're not aligned with their own self-interest in terms of their behavior as it relates to fueling themselves and what they would like to feel like. Like, why aren't those people finding you? What's blocking them? There's usually two issues. Um, so I, I have a lot of people that follow me in the periphery. So they'll come to every webinar and I'll, okay. and I'll read every newsletter and I see their names popping up. I even have a group program and they and they're, they're, uh, they hang out there too and not, they don't say very much. And right. I love these people. They're just amazing, wonderful people. And they, when they're in, they're really in. Um, but usually there's two issues that, are be, that, that, they're being, that they're dealing with. One, they feel like it's too much, like it's going to be too yeah, big of a change. Yeah, it's going to be yeah. way too hard. When the truth is, is that actually the easiest path is the best path. Right. And that's what I do. It's, it's this feeling like that couldn't possibly yet. My, my, my lifestyle and my diet is so far away that I'm never going to get there. Or they don't believe easy could possibly work that in their experience, it's either all or nothing, um, black or white, and that they that this idea of easy, of small changes, of finding the path, yeah, of, yeah. of understanding your body just couldn't possibly work. Right. But they 
they believe it enough to stay in the periphery. So it's like, I'm just waiting for that like thing to click and, and then they'll come in. Um, but yes. it's usually one of the two, it's either, this is gonna be way too much and I'm, I'm totally not ready for that yet and I respect that or this couldn't possibly work. And that's where I wanna bring the invitation in of just try it. What's the worst thing that can happen? Right, you can go back to go back to your old Taco Bell life if you're you totally. know, like we're not on that. This is that's interesting and and um, and counter to what I've done to people in the past in my one-on-one -on -one coaching, which I don't do anymore. But um, I make them suffer, and the only reason why I do that and the way that that is that I put them in community with each other, and the only reason why they would endure the you know the detox type stuff that i've done which is exactly what you're talking about why would i want to go suffer you know and they, they feel bad but i make it made it about like well you i you should anticipate feeling awful and we're all going to feel awful together and then we're all going to you know commiserate oh my god pete Dealey is such a mean person he's making me eat fish or beans and blah, blah, blah. and so um that uh, when I put that idea versus your idea, your idea makes a lot more sense. <laughs> you know, where it, with wisdom, somebody knows how to do it. If you could make the change in a way that you um, only feel incrementally better, then if you're willing to commit to you, that makes, I mean, that's a much more pleasant experience. Mm -hmm. Because, it, I mean, I appreciate what you're saying, but I have found like if you're eating 95% of your calories or processed food, and soda in particular, if you have soda in yeah. your life, when I take you off of that, you feel bad. Like, you know, yeah. and the idea that you're not going to feel bad is a misrepresentation of the way that I have, you know, mm -hmm. beat people over the head with that in the past. But, you know, what, I, what I'm hearing you saying is that, look, even with that, you can moderate, lessen the discomfort as you gradually move them into something that then is permanent because they, mm -hmm. right? I call them the walking well, like you don't even realize how good you should feel. Yeah. I had no idea how badly yeah. I felt until I started feeling better. And I, and I didn't know that I was as foggy as I was until my brain yeah. turned back on. And I'm like, oh, I like learning things. I don't remember because <laughs> it was with yeah. mid high school when my brain got foggy. And it was like, I hadn't, I, I was like, oh yeah, as a kid, I love like science and learning and it really, and, and that's what I want for everybody is to know what it feels like to feel good. And, and what's interesting about your way is that the people, when I work in the easy way is they keep expecting to feel awful. And because they don't feel awful, they don't think it's working. So like there is yeah. like both sides are playing out. I, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. My people surely would have wished they found you rather than <laughs> I can promise you. Um, and this is, let me just take a, this is a PSA, the public service announcement just there, because my wife's a naturopathic physician. And if people listening, if they have brain fog and those issues, I'm always of the mind that what you're talking about is, is the primary thing to attract first. But the second thing I would like people to hear, because she's seeing it all the time in her practice, is the presence of mold in the body. So we won't talk about it because that's its own conversation, but just it's so prevalent right now in, in what she's seeing in, uh, in her practice that if your brain is somehow rather clunkier and foggier than it is, look at your diet, find somebody, find Lisa to help you, and then have a naturopathic physician evaluate you for mold. So 
that's has nothing to do with our interview other than that it's on my mind that people don't know about mold and it is awful out there. So and that's what I was primarily dealing with when my brain was that foggy. It was mold. It was mold. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize that till later. Um, and because I had, I would sneeze with peanut butter and, and uh, um, orange juice are both very moldy things. And I, then I realized, oh, I get sick every time I walk into a moldy house. And so I was just right until I killed, once I killed the mold off, I felt a lot better. Can I ask what you take to kill them? Do, um, I, at the, I was doing it myself. I didn't work with a natural path at the time because I just was really trying to figure out what's going on. Um, and so I just used oregano oil. Um, yeah. I overdid it, but it, but it worked really well. And, sure. and it stopped me from being so sensitive to mold. I also had to take out moldy foods for years. Like it was years and years and years before I could touch peanut butter again. Um, but once I got my mold under control, it was, uh, it was okay. Wow. Well, that's just, I mean, that's fascinating to me because uh, her practice is called On Being Well. It's in Chandler, Arizona, um, and she does patient care and she does corporate health and wellness. Um, the prevalence of what you just described, it, I, I almost and I don't want to be dramatic, but it almost feels like it's at epidemic proportions, and um, it's just it's 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 interesting. To me. We live in the desert. Um, and it's the desert's not absent mold, but I'm from New York and all of those damp basements that I was in as a kid and all that stuff. Yeah, um, I'm from the East Coast. Yeah, uh, it's a, I live I live in the Canadian desert now, but and my body right. loves that. But I'm from very very humid, moldy areas, and that's why I was yeah so full. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 um that's interesting to me. Well, when we talk about like moving in the direction that you're describing. What's a small behavioral change that a person could do to align themselves with this vision that you have of if you understand what your body needs and you give it what it needs, you will move towards optimal health. What is, um, without engaging you as a, a you know, mentor professional, without having a contract with you, what's something they can do on their own? There's the, the fastest path is to be be aware of how food makes you feel simply noticing when you eat this do, do you like it did you, does your body like it um when you start really tuning in you start to feel like your body lights up when you eat it like i i actually have like a food happy dance when it's like <laughs> i don't even notice i'm doing it um but at first all you're doing is does this food feel satisfying do i stay full afterwards um how is my energy afterwards right that information, you don't have to understand right away. You don't have to understand why one meal makes you satisfied and the other one doesn't. Just start paying attention and you'll start noticing, yeah. oh, I really need this in my lunch or I need this kind of food in my breakfast. But if that feels too overwhelming, because it can feel almost too, we have so much trauma and emotions wrapped around food that sometimes mm -hmm. that can be overwhelming. And so if that feels too overwhelming, the next, the other way of doing it is simply focusing on adding, add one more serving of fruits and vegetables yeah, tomorrow. Yeah. That's it. Let it squish out something. So Shoot. I'm a, I'm a squisher. So yes. if somebody has a really high sugar diet, right. my first thing is let's start eating more fruit. Right. Um, so before you eat that cookie in the afternoon, have an apple. Yeah. Yeah. And see, do you even want that cookie? Um, right. Let's let's squish out some of that. Um, yeah. And and 
when you eat more fruits and vegetables, your body likes that it's full of nutrients and you start feeling better and then you're attracted to more fruits and vegetables and it just tumbles forward. Um, but my uh, challenge to people, especially if they're starting with zero fruits and vegetables is once a month, add one more serving of fruits and vegetables. And yeah. by this time next year, you will be at 10 and you have taken two months off. And yeah, just yeah, by yeah. this, like, and you could stop at five, you're going to feel great at five. Yeah, <laughs> and right, right. and if, like, it, that would make the biggest difference in a year to just like get down pat five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. Like you, your whole body health will be, feel so much different with that little change that can be done over the course of five or six months. Yeah. I like that a lot. We, we, we talk about that a lot in terms of, um, crowding out, you know, just let's get, and adding is so much easier to talk about psychologically, psychologically digest um, when rather than telling you, you can't have this or that. So I, I think that that's a wise uh, approach. That self-awareness is um, not always easy for people. I mean, do you have people journal or do you like, Journaling is really helpful. Um, what uh -huh. the process of undieting can bring up um, a lot of emotional work. And sometimes we need to get some extra support with that. Um, but journaling is a really great way to just help with that rewiring of your brain yeah. of like, I'm looking, I'm focusing on getting stronger. That's, that's my yeah. focus, not yeah. necessarily not losing weight or right. um, I, it's okay to eat sweet potatoes. Uh, mm -hmm. Like writing those down can really help with that process. Um, but, but it is, it can be emotional work and, and work about getting to those emotions is that core root. And when you can work through them and understand them, it makes eating so much easier. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting because I have a, you know, I spend a lot of time in terms of my own mental space, right? I am one of those people thinking about food. I'm a foodie. I love to eat. I'm, I get a lot of pleasure out of it. Um, I have a very keen sense of like what is healthy for me and what isn't. And yet, I, and eating like what you're eating now is a vote for how you're going to feel later, right? Like you're voting for how you'll feel later. So that being said, all the time though, I'm like, boy, I'm really feeling fatigued. And when I ask myself why I'm feeling fatigued, I'm like, what did I eat two hours ago? <laughs> you yeah. know? Like for me, if I eat a bunch of beans and I like beans, you know, at noon for my lunch at 1.30, I'm wrecked. Um, but I do it frequently. Like I'm still, I'm sorry, self-awareness, but you know, the, the flavor kind of, and so I make deals with myself all the time. Like, well, at least eat like organic good beans, you know, like make them yourself. Like I, but um, I think that's, I think that's why it's like your gentle, persistent approach uh, with people like, hey, in a year from now, that time's going to pass anyway. Why don't you have 10 more servings of vegetables in your life? And all you got to do is add one a month. That's a pretty reasonable um, ask. Well, I know you've done a lot of different things and uh, probably been recognized for many things uh, over time. But if you're going to pick an accomplishment, whatever that might be, it could be an external affirmation or something between you and a client or, or whoever, I mean, what, when, when people think of you, what would, what accomplishment would you want them to think about? Oh, that's a great question. I've trouble, like, I, I, I don't, I don't spend enough time inside accomplishments. Um, I think I would like them to remember the, the, the bravery it took to still be here. Yeah. And, nice. Because because starting a business as a health practitioner, 
not necessarily the easiest thing. Keep you going, not necessarily the easiest thing. And like today I can say, well, I have a published book and I have a TEDx talk and I have these things, but they happened slowly over 13 years and they never felt like they were all just like a part of the work. And so um, I love the work I do. I'm so grateful for the courage I had 13 years ago to move across the country and just start and just kind of dig in for three years and not really put my head up and just like do what needed to be done because that got me to where I am now yeah that's wonderful I mean bravery and courage is embedded in in many people's lives and they're not uh, always um, self-appreciative of their own bravery their own you know grit and so I appreciate that when I listen to you talk it reminds me of my mother my mom uh, took a long time to uh, align herself on the path that she should have been on earlier in her life because she had me young. Um, and as she uh, worked her way through many things, she became a prof- an English professor. She's a very accomplished poet. She's been the professor. She received a congressional reception for being like uh, the best community college professor in the country. Um, and she's all kinds of awards and things relative to her writing. But we would joke about like, well, when they write her biography, they'll say, and for 20 years, she got up and wrote at four o'clock in the morning to six o'clock in the morning, because that was the only time she had to do it. And then, you know, (laughs) they'll take this long grind and it'll be, you know, one sentence and then they'll get on to all the stuff that's sexy. Um, Well, Let's say somebody listens and they want to find you. So where should they learn about you? So first, I have a book um, called Undieting. Um, And so this takes that, what we've talked about today, including the food politics, it distills it down to a step-by-step. You can get this um, any online retailers. It's also available at Target in the U.S. Um, Or go to my website, undieting.ca, and you'll get more information on the book, but you'll also be in my website. So you can get information on -on one-on-one sessions, which I do virtually, um, as well as my, I have a a nutrition hub called Your Beautiful Life. So if you want, if you don't necessarily want to sit and talk to a nutritionist, but you want that kind of support, then my nutrition hub is really handy for that. I like it. I like it. Well, we will put that, I'm going to publish this video on YouTube and then um, a meditation uh, class site that I have called the three minute uplift. And in those notes, I'll put links to where they can buy the book, get to your website, all the different ways to learn about you. Um, So I'm grateful that you had time for me today. And uh, it was a very interesting conversation. So I appreciate you sharing your wisdom with us and your experience. Um, You know, I'm grateful for all of that. are you still with us? I think my connection might be. Yep. You're still there. Okay, great. Can you hear me? Yep. I can. So uh, I'm going to take us out, but thank you very much for, t- for the time today. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this conversation. I appreciate that. Well, you know, Lisa Kilgore is a modern revolutionary, and like others we've talked to, she's clear eyed about the current situation, and she's brave enough to bring, you know, her thoughts and feelings and Um, you know, descriptions of her own experiences into the arena. Um, So she's published a book means that other people are actually going to read it. And if they read it, some are going to like it and some are going to not. So that takes courage and bravery. And and we're grateful that that she did that and let her be an example that we want you to bring your 
thoughts and energy into the world also. So don't keep them locked away because the modern revolution needs us all. The show notes for this show and all our shows can be found at themodernrevolution.com. So please go there where you can check out the show notes and learn more about our guests and see some of our fun videos like Tell Big Soda to Piss Off. The Modern Revolution is a production of A Well-Run Life. In A Well-Run Life, we have an additional podcast by the same name, A Well-Run Life, and it's three minutes long. And should you be interested in some of our additional ideas, Peter Dealey, myself, I have a book called The Leadership Miracle, and it's 35 minutes, and it's on audible.com for $3.95, so you can check us out there as well. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you at the next episode. This podcast sounds a little bit better on the podcast player, CastBox. In fact, I think of it as Podcast Bliss. They've been a great supporter of ours through this podcast and our other podcast, A Well-Run Life. And so if you haven't checked out CastBox, we encourage you to do it today.